We're going to get ready to uh, get into the Word of God. We are wrapping up our final uh, focus for fall to summer, and I know it's kind of in that in-between stage. We're wrapping up the greatness of God today. Uh, We're going to be moving on next week, but uh, what a series and what a focus this has been. And one of the things that we have finished up this series on is the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the person of the Spirit. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Now we are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is an area that I believe there's no greater area that displays the greatness of God than the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know and I am aware that there are some who are doing away with the moving of the Spirit. I am not one of them. I am not one of those thoughts of school. The Word of God is clear that the Spirit of God is given for us, for our children, for those who are afar off, and for all who will call upon the name of the Lord our God. And so we want, and I believe, if we're to see the greatness of God move in our community, We have been praying that God would move in Clark County, in Camas, Washougal, Vancouver, wherever God has placed you. If we are to do it effectively, if we try to do it on our own, we will fail. If we don't say, Lord, we want to be people of the Spirit. Lord, we want to be people who are following your voice who are hearing your call, without him we can do nothing. Amen? Father, we pray right now that you would open our ears to hear your word. God, that we would receive it, Lord, and it would take root in our hearts. God, that you would, as you have called us to such a time as this, equip us and empower us by your Spirit to be the living epistles of the church, to be, Lord, the Word of God to our world, to our community, to those who are desperately in need of life. There are so many, Lord, who have been satisfied with this world and they are in a a, a routine, Lord, of absolute emptiness. God, help us to be the river of God. Help us to be, Lord, not religious, but full of Jesus and full of your spirit, Lord. God, we pray as we hear your word, that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now lift your word up. This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Convinced living water changes everything one life at a time. Praise the Lord. All right, we are finishing up, and the first thing that we are looking at is back to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, and we are looking at verses uh, 4 through uh, uh, 11, and I'm going to read them, although 
we're going to be specifically looking this morning at verses 10 and 11. <coughs> Excuse me. Everybody is awake now if you were asleep. I tried to grab it. I didn't grab it in time. I apologize. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and uh, we're going to start at verse number 4, but we're specifically then going to be looking at 10 and 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons... But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Do you see what Paul is writing <laughs> And to another, affecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing them to each one individually just as he wills. Now, uh, before we specifically go back and look at uh, these specific three last gifts of the Spirit, I want to emphasize this last point of verse 11, that it is the one and same Spirit that works all these things. It is not a different spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God. It is God Almighty, His Spirit. The same Spirit that was there when He spoke the world into existence and hovered over the water. The same one that we read about in the Old Testament. The same one we read about in the New Testament in the book of Acts. The same Spirit is alive and well today in you if you will call on Him. He is available for all who will call. And so, distributing them to each one individually. Now, I want to say to you, much like healing, I do understand that there will probably not be any two people that will fully agree on the gifts of the Spirit or fully understand or totally mesh with everything. But this we better agree upon, that it is in the Word of God and God says that it ought to be in the church. That we cannot get away from. And I understand that it is sometimes more comfortable that if we just said, well, how about if we just kind of forget that part or throw away that part because sometimes church can be so messy, can't it? <laughs> but I believe when we decide to do that, we specifically limit God to what he is wanting to do 
in the lives individually and corporately in the church. I don't believe that God is wanting us to let go. I believe as God has called us to live in this specific time, in this specific uh, uh, opportunity of the world, that we must be spirit-filled believers like never before. Now, I understand that there are some different areas of thought, but I will tell you that if we look at the Scripture, Scripture is clear that He is desiring for each one individually to be moving in His Spirit. Then it says, just as He wills. Now, I want to be specific about this because, again, we bring everything back to the Word of God. There are thoughts of school, school of thought, that talk about that you are to go to get, quote, uh, taught or educated on how to uh, move and what to do in gifts of spirit. I don't see they're distributed by a school. If that's uncomfortable for you, I encourage you to look at the Word of God and ask yourself, who is it that is supposed to be filling and moving in the believer? He is. And He will do it as He determines. Now, you say, well, that's scary, and I understand that, but we're going to get into that. So let's, let's, because... In this last three that we're talking about, the distinguishing the spirits, the uh, gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, boy, these are hot topics. But I will tell you, I believe the Word of God clearly states why God asks us for our tongue. And I believe it's specific. Because, boy, we all like control of it, don't we? And we don't want anyone else to have control of it, do we? It's no coincidence God asked you for that. Okay? So let's say, first of all, Pastor, what does it mean, the, the gift of distinguishing of spirits? Why would you need that? Well, let's look at this. Because truly, as we look, there are different kinds of spirits. There is clearly the Spirit of God, and when He's moving, there is clearly times when it's just the flesh, the natural fleshly man. His thoughts, His desires, just flat out the flesh. And all of us, as long as until the Lord comes and He frees us from this temple of clay, we're all going to fight at times with our flesh. And that's why Paul says he crucifies it daily. So we're not going to get out of that. But there, are, there is the Spirit of God, there is that which is a spirit of flesh, and then there is that which is Satan. Now I understand that Satan is a proper name. For all of you who are hot on grammar, I misspelled that specifically. I don't like writing a capital S for Satan. I just don't like it. <laughs> and I understand it in my, 
in my English mind, but I don't like it in my spirit. <laughs> because according to in Christ, in Christ, he has no power over us. In Christ, he is a defeated foe. And Christ stripped him of death and the keys of Hades. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so as we look at this, there are so many scriptures. There are literally a, just a plethora, hundreds of hundreds of scriptures that I could give you for each of these areas. I have focused on a few, okay? All right, so let's look at the first ones. You can write these down. 1 Samuel 10.10, this is when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he did things by the Spirit of God. Okay? There are so many more in the Old Testament, too, where the Spirit of God came on someone and, and they obeyed and, and were moving in the Spirit of God. Then this next reference is Luke eleven thirteen. This is where Jesus says, If you who are evil know how to good, give good gifts, how much more? Will God give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Guys, praise the Lord. That is awesome. We get so confined to this world. Let it go. Amen. There are things in the Spirit and about the Lord that are so much more exciting, so much more life-giving. If you're wondering where your life is, it's in Christ. It's in his spirit, not in this world. And as long as we keep filling ourselves with the world, we will get more disappointed all the time. But if we will fill ourselves up with him, he will give us everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter says. All right, so... That's what that is. Then Acts 19.6 talks again in the, Old, in the New Testament about the Spirit of God coming on people. With this time the disciples or Apostle Paul laying on of hands. But very clearly there is a difference when God's Spirit is moving on someone. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of others. No doubt all of us have had moments when we just have been in the flesh. These are just two that I find humorous and I liked. John 9, 1 and 2, where his disciples say to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents? It was a natural fleshly thing, but they didn't have the Spirit of God. Okay, They were working in their natural flesh. Okay, then I love this next one, Luke 9, 54 through 56. If you hadn't read this, this is where the sons of thunder wanted to call down lightning and destroy everybody because they didn't accept Jesus. And they said, shall we call fire down from heaven? And Jesus looks at them and says, stop it, you don't have the mind of God. They had a natural fleshly mind. God says, I've come not to destroy people, but to save them. So uh, there are times when we just get in our flesh, <laughs> okay? And uh, this is a need for us to be able to distinguish between whether it's the spirit of God or the spirit of flesh or 
we also know that clearly there is a spirit that works that is of Satan, demonic spirits, uh, all kinds of different things that work, uh, uh, counterfeit fit miracles, all kinds of things that are happening. I've given you two references here, again, because... There's just so many, we don't have time. Luke 8.30 talks about Jesus dealing with an evil spirit. Okay? Ephesians 6.12 begins to talk about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I believe, listen to me, I am not a fanatic that wants us to think everything that ever goes wrong in our life, we're going to blame an evil spirit. That's foolish. That's foolish. But for all of that, sometimes it is amazing how ignorant the people of God are about spiritual things. The Bible says you wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not... All that we see, these five senses and the body and the world we're trapped in, this is not all that there is. There is a reality to the spiritual realm and we are fighting and wrestling against spiritual things. We need to be aware that when things are happening, there's something bigger taking place. Become kingdom-minded. Get your thoughts and your mind on the kingdom of God. That is how Paul would be working and doing the things of God and get bit by a snake and just shake it off and say, I'm just going to continue till God calls me home. We need to have that kind of mindset. We need to understand and be aware that sometimes when we are aggravated by family, work, people in the church. It's not always a fleshly thing. Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. And we need to arm ourselves spiritually. All right. So now let's go to the next. Speaking in tongues. And let me for a moment... If there was any controversy, because I know tongues brings up controversy. There are some that just say, oh, it's just so, it's just so foolish, I can't do it. God can't work that way. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. That's why God works that way. Because he's not going to let your pride and your flesh glory in anything. He has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. Why did he pick tongues? Because so many people just think it's dumb and foolish and God says, watch me work. I say I want to embrace what God says. I don't want to get carried away. I don't want to be in the flesh. I don't want, but I want all that God has. I want all that he has. So... Let me give you a couple of scriptures of why tongues is the way that God would choose to do it. The first I take you to is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. 
through 31. Write that down. I'm going to read a few of these verses. 19 says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. If you think tongues is foolish, you know now why God says, I'll use that very thing. Because I'm not going to work through your wisdom or intelligence. I'm not going to let you boast in one thing before me. When I do it, you're going to know it's of God. And I have to be honest with you. When I myself was trying to receive tongues, I think the biggest deterrent to me receiving that gift from the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit was control. I don't like the fact that God would have control of my tongue. Now, hear me, God will not possess you. If you think that in giving God your tongue, he's going to possess you and make you do things you don't want to do, that'll never happen. God doesn't possess people. That's Satan. But God will move on you, and you'll think, that's funny. Why do I want to do that? That's foolish. I sound dumb. Are you going to believe God, or are you going to believe yourself? All right. Now, if you look further in that passage, I want to read verses 27 and 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he may nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. The other passage of scripture I want you to write down is James chapter 3. James chapter 3, if there was ever a spot where you would say, why did God choose tongues? Why did God say, and why, that, that just doesn't, it's just foolish. Listen to what the word of God says, James 3, verse number 3. We put bits into horses' mouths so that they may obey us. We direct the entire body as well. Behold the ships also, they, they are, though they are great, are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder. Wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now you read all the way through 12. We aren't going to do it now, but write those verses down and you'll know why God picked tongues. You know specifically the reason God did is because God's not going to work with your wisdom. God's not impressed with your intellect. God's not impressed with you saying, God, if I just did it my way, everything would be wonderful. God said, no, if you'll do it my way, I will be glorified and no flesh will glory in my presence. Amen? All right. So speaking in tongues, that's couple of things that I wanted to say. Then as we look at this, there are two things in, uh, that happen in speaking in tongues. Number one, in the book of Acts, we have earthly and heavenly. Earthly tongues. There's no doubt about in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost happened that 
people from all around the world heard the disciples speaking in their native language. That's what the Word of God says. That was a miracle of God. How or what God did to make that happen, I don't fully understand. But God's Word says that's what happened. God's Word said that as they were there, each one that was there heard it in their own language. And they were shocked when they heard it. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 12. So write those verses down. Read about that. That is talking about the earthly. That there are times when God uses a tongue. And by the way, let me just tell you, we were blessed with uh, several years ago now that in our service, for whatever reason, I believe it was for a confirmation. People wonder sometimes, I wonder really if that's ever God. Here we were, had an African missionary in our church. Some lady from the back stood, she's gone to be with the Lord. Gave a tongue. Literally, the man stood up and looked around and said, Who is that? I don't know. Why? Because she's speaking in my native tongue. I, I, and then he proceeded to tell what it was that God was saying. Do you know that this precious lady had given this before? And do you know what, what the man said that it meant was exactly what we had been hearing her say? She interpreted and she gave it. And people were saying, ah, I wonder if that's really, I, I don't know about that. God says, well, let me show you this. <laughs> so what I'm telling you is if you think that you always have to figure it out in your mind, you will be very disappointed with God. God's not impressed with our intellect. Now, that doesn't mean God wants us to be foolish or ignorant or, or not use the mind God's given us. Please, you understand that. But I'm saying trust, reliance on that alone will not cut it. That's what I'm saying. All right, so there is the earthly. Then the scripture is clear. There is a heavenly language that when you speak in a tongue, no one else is going to understand it but God, unless it's interpreted. And that's what Paul talks about. And the reason I put chapter 14, you need to write down the entire chapter. And this chapter is wonderful because Paul corrects what's happening with the Corinthians in the fact that they were uh, getting together and they were using tongues in an inappropriate way. They were getting together and that's all they were doing. There was no interpretation. There was no order. It was just a bunch of blabbering. And, and Paul says, look, I would rather that when you come in church, I'd rather you speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in tongues. Now, for everybody who has grabbed that verse and said, see, stop speaking in tongues, Paul says in the same chapter, I wish that everyone would speak in tongues. But he says, in the church, it ought to be done in a fitting and orderly way. 
in a way that brings glory to God, in a way that brings glory to his kingdom, and in a way that will bring conviction to someone who is outside of God's kingdom that comes into the church. Look at that portion of that chapter, and in it, Paul writes to them, trying to to catch them in their own foolishness. Again, you have to remember the context of this. These are ones that were coming together, and all they were doing was just speaking in tongues. And in fact, there was such disorder because everybody was so enamored by the gift, which I understand sometimes is overwhelming, but they just, one right after another, was total chaos. So Paul says to them, trying to make a point, tongues then are a sign for the unbeliever and prophecy is for the believer? And I have actually had people say, yeah, tongues is for the unbeliever. But if you continue with what Paul is saying, he says, no, no, no. He says, if a person then comes into your church and all you're doing is speaking in tongues, won't he say you're out of your mind? He does. But he says, if there is a tongue and someone interprets it and the word of God is given, that one who has come in that does not believe will be convicted by God and he will be convinced that God is among you. Hallelujah! That's what we want to see. That's what we want. We want that the Lord would be glorified. So there's those that are earthly, there's those that are heavenly, and there needs to be what Paul says, if there's going to be in the church a tongue that is given for the body, there needs to be an interpretation. That's why we do encourage those that are exercising their gift of speaking in tongues in a service that they don't get so loud that they're disruptive to people that are around them unless they feel it's for the entire body. You hear me? So if you feel it's for the entire body, you, you give it to the body. But if, you, if you're just being blessed in the Spirit, praise God, but don't get so loud in that that people are confused. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. So then there's the tongues. And again, I gave you the reason. Then there's the interpretation of tongues. And in this, uh, this is a great gift. And in chapter 14, Paul says the one that interprets in the church service is more important because he actually is going to give clarity to the tongue. Now, again, when, when he says, we are, we are so fleshly sometimes. We, we want to say, well, you know, that gift's better than this. That God wants all the gifts to be working. But all of them have a proper place and timing and issue. And if we would just say, Lord, I just want to be obedient. And, and, you know, being obedient to the Lord doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake. Sometimes when you step out for the Lord, you, you, you stumble. I would rather stumble trying to do the will of God than to be out there being good for the world. 
don't be afraid of the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God uh, mature and work in you that the kingdom of God would be glorified. So this gift, as someone gives a, a tongue, you know, you, have, you see all these bright lights and what I did with this, because when a tongue comes, in our natural mind, that's all we see. We just say, well, man, it's beautiful, but I haven't got a clue. That's because it's only discerned when the Spirit, through the gift of interpretation, God give it to you. And again, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul lays out very clearly how it is to work, why it is to work, and how that, if one is giving, that, that we all can do it in order so that it all pleases God, so that the kingdom of God is advanced, so that those who possibly are there who don't know the Lord will be convicted and come to Christ, and so that the church can move forward. All of that. But this is what I will say. I just am, I just am absolutely more confident than ever before. Not that because of my confidence anything has changed because it's always been this way with God. That only what we do in the Spirit will matter. I'm telling you, if we want to see our family saved, if we want to see our friends, if we want to see things happen, I don't know how much longer we may have until the Lord comes, but I know this, if we'll get on page with him, we'll accomplish more in whatever time we have left than we have in the last 50 years in our flesh. We need to get on page in his spirit. We need to be on page with his spirit. We need to hear what the spirit of God is speaking to us. And I, this, this requires discipline because your flesh yells at you constantly what you ought to do. The flesh, and it, that's why I have to crucify it all the time. Brian is a loudmouth, and he speaks to me constantly. And I have to say, be quiet. I reckon you to be crucified with Christ, that the Spirit of God may live. So all of these in the distinguishing of spirits in the various tongues and in the interpretation, in the, all of the other six that we have talked about. Guys, if we're going to see the greatness of God manifested like we want, we're going to have to get comfortable being men and women and people of the Spirit. God has called us to be people of the Spirit. Throughout all Scripture, Jesus himself and John says, the flesh counts for nothing. What I'm speaking to you is spirit and it brings life. We must have the spirit of God. I think the reason it gets us uncomfortable is there are at times when the spirit of God moves, there is always counterfeits, 
there is always ones that sometimes get in the flesh, not maliciously, but do. As long as we go back to the Word, bring everything to the Word, glorify Christ, Christ will take care of His church. I would rather have to do that than to see a church void of the Spirit. That is really disappointing. When we have a form of godliness but no power, we all might as well go home. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's life. And where the Spirit of the Lord isn't, all there is is religion and death. We need the Spirit of God. We need the life of God in us. And that's why I'm excited as we get ready to close this out. I just have to give you a teaser as we go into the next focus and we talk about where God is taking us. We're going to be talking about the power of God. We've talked about the greatness of God. We are going to talk about the power of God this fall and into the summer. Uh, uh, this, uh, the winter and the spring right up to summer. We'll be talking about the power of God. Specifically unlocking and unleashing His power for daily living. The power of God is meant practically in your life when you get up on Sunday morning after your wife or spouse has rolled over and is speaking to you with nighttime breath. Now you say, well, Pastor, why did you have to give that analogy? Because what I'm saying is this. Catch it. Many times when we talk about the power of God, we talk about it in a realm where just God wants the power of God to be as practical as practical can be. If it doesn't quicken your mortal body for life now, it's impractical. God wants to give you his power for practical living for his glory. Bow your head with me.